Hey, it's Jake Wiskirchen back with you on the Noggin Notes podcast, like usual. I am hosting, like usual, and this is episode 31. Not like usual, because every episode has a new number. This episode deals with tragedy and how to handle it, and specifically how to talk about it with your kids. But the six topics that we're going to cover today, I guess are the six points, they are universally applicable. Uh, It's not just related to parenting. We can uh, generalize these to conversations with other people as well, because when we talk about this stuff, it's not limited to to just kids. Um, We want to keep our own selves healthy and um, sane, so to speak, when uh, when negativity surrounds us. So um, as you're listening to this, if you think it's just for parents, uh, it's not. It could be for you and your loved ones, your coworkers, uh, your employees, if you have any, and so on and so forth. Teammates, um, students, if you're a teacher. So keep these in mind. And um, and if you have any questions, please write in. Info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org are how you can reach us. As always, we like you to subscribe and give us a rating and a review on iTunes. That helps drive listenership so that we can get this information into other people's hands and spread the concepts and the peace far and wide. As always, we're sponsored by Zephyr Wellness. Check out zephyrwellness.org. And as always, Noggin Notes aims to enrich and educate your noggin on matters of mental wellness. So without further delay, this is episode number 31. It's six ways to discuss tragedy after it occurs. Yet another day has passed and yet another tragedy strikes. This time it happened in Florida in the United States. And a shooter went into a school and shot and killed a bunch of innocent people. And not that innocence or guilt matters. What matters is the loss of life sudden and unexpectedly can rock a community. It can certainly penetrate deep into the lives of the people who experienced it. And the ripple effect knows no end. If you're not familiar with the ripple effect, if you throw a pebble into a pond, it ripples out much further than where the pebble actually struck the surface of the water. Those ripples can carry out quite a ways and uh, into communities and, and homes and lives of people who are not even related to the event itself. With the advent of social media and the speed of the internet, what we're seeing is more and more vicarious trauma. And you could take that vocabulary word or phrase and tuck it away. What we know about vicarious trauma is that you don't have to be directly affected by a tragedy or a serious event or unexpected uh, sudden loss to have it take a toll on you. We learned this in 9-11. We previously thought that uh, post-traumatic stress disorder would only affect people who were directly impacted or directly exposed to the event in question, but what we found is that with the replay of the images of the planes flying into the buildings and the buildings collapsing and people running and screaming, that seeing those images brought it home, regardless of where you lived. You didn't have to be in New York City or Pennsylvania or Washington, D.C. It uh, rippled throughout the country. And even those of us who live far away in places like Reno, Nevada, and Austin, Texas, and Boise, Idaho, and all around the world, we felt the pain of the people who were directly at ground zero of those Uh, terrorist attacks. So since then, that's changed the way that we approach trauma and uh, psychology and the way that we treat it. Now what we're seeing is with social media, 
people are replaying and reposting and commenting on things that did not directly affect them, but they nevertheless have an opinion. And what happens usually is we feel fear, we feel pain, and we we don't know how to tolerate it because it's it's too big, it's too much. No one should be, uh, you know, exposed to sudden deaths in mass casualties. Uh, very specific populations are trained to deal with that, not the general population as a whole. And if you're not trained to deal with that emotional tidal wave, you're uh, you're you're going to suffer some trauma. And if you're not good at dealing with it, you may turn that pain or that that fear into something like anger because it's simply easier to reach to and control and lash out. So I've put together a list of six do's and don'ts. There's three do's and three don'ts. I'm just going to try to keep it short of how to speak with children specifically, but also to speak with each other about things like this when they occur, because they're going to keep happening. It's just the nature of of the world. And whether it's a man-made event or a natural disaster, we're going to keep encountering things and events that are much larger than our psyches are prepared for. So the first thing that we want to do um, above and beyond this this list of six is, is we want to try not to rehash stories. Uh, continually revisiting and re- replaying images and scrolling through news feeds is, is only helping to um, expose us to more and more negativity. And uh, I'm not saying by any means that we should just turn and walk away and, and, and turn a blind eye and a, and a deaf ear to, the, to those in need specifically, but also to solutions and resolutions. That's not at all what I'm suggesting, but know when you've had your fill. Know when you're scrolling through Twitter that the comment thread is going to repeat itself. Uh, there's only so many fresh and new opinions people can have in a forum where you're allowed to remain anonymous. So the less of that you can take into the psyche, the less bitter you will be and the less likely you will be to lash out and react out of a place of emotion rather than reason and logic. But apart from that, when dealing with children or and just talking with your friends or, or working with you know, student athletes or, or students in a classroom or just anybody you come in contact with, the three don'ts you don't want to do. You don't want to blame. And specifically, we don't want to blame shift. So unless you're the shooter in this case, you, you don't really know why he did it. We, we don't know. We can take some guesses and we can make some... Um, you know, some determinations, but they're all based on our worldview and our interpretation and our lens. And that's really unfair. So, so to blame and lay blame, whether it's at the government or at the feet of the individual or on the gun industry or the, the National Rifle Association or the liberals or the conservatives or the middle people or whatever it is, to lay blame is not solving the problem. And in fact, it tends to stir the pot a little bit. And what it does is it, it shifts focus away from the, the real actual problem, whatever that may be, and puts it it distracts it puts it puts attention onto something that that we can't do anything about um, we can't do anything about the shooter he's you know in this case in florida he's he's already apprehended and he's he's arrested and he'll go through due process and and whatever outcome comes will come um, to continue blaming him or uh, blaming the gun or blaming politicians is not helpful and it just only stokes more and more animosity which we want to get away from and that leads into judgment 
we don't want to judge. Uh, we can assess. We can say that this is uh, this is a horrible act. We can say that they're that people are in pain, um, but we don't necessarily want to jump over into saying that the person who did it is something that we don't know anything about. Is a freak. Is a bad person. It, you know. So we, when we get into judging others, what we inherently do is we make them non-human. Um, if it's said that if a human being does something, it is therefore human nature. We being humans, therefore, have the nature of any other human being. So the power to kill and destroy is within all of us. Um, hopefully we never access that. Hopefully we act out of reason and logic and balance and compassion so that we we don't tap into the evil that, that innately lurks, lurks within us, but just know that we have it within us. So in order to, to, uh, to avoid that, we want to avoid judging people because as soon as we tend to, as soon as we jump to judgment, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm not capable of that. He is, I'm not. And that's simply not true. And it makes you more likely to, to give in to that, um, that evil that you don't think you possess. And it makes you more likely to, um, be mean, uh, take away, uh, destroy, and, and yes, kill. And maybe we're not talking about killing human beings, but uh, think about the last time you swatted an insect just because it was there. Did that need to happen? Was it necessary? Maybe not. Maybe it was out of malice. Maybe it was out of fear. But either way, you possess within you the same power to take away life as the individual who you know, shot up the school. So let's not, let's not judge others and let's not make them less human. That gets us into an us versus them mentality as if they are not like us. And then we get contempt and then we get rage and then we get more and more harm perpetrated. The third don't is we don't want to incite anger in others. We don't want to incite it in ourselves. Um, what we want to do is we want to tolerate whatever emotion or feeling we have that's more vulnerable and more susceptible to uh, intimacy without leaping to anger. When we when we leap into anger, remember, think back to the definitions that I went over uh, several months ago in the in the first few episodes of this podcast. Anger motivates. If your anger is not serving to motivate you to go make change, probably let it go. Tap into whatever it is that's beneath that anger, whether it's fear or pain, uh, and and tolerate that. Move through it. Learn from it. Apply it. But don't use anger just simply to incite other anger because uh, anger for, for its own sake is pretty worthless and it's a waste of energy and it just serves to tear other people down and distract them from the good that they could otherwise be doing. If your anger motivates you, use it to go motivate. And I don't mean motivate to uh, post nasty things online and judgmental comments and that kind of thing. I mean motivate to to run for office, uh, cast a vote, you know, go, go make real change. That's, that's fine. Hang on to your anger, but use it appropriately. Don't just lash out, out of your anger. So the three don'ts are don't blame, don't judge, and don't incite anger. Now, I'm not a big fan of using don't language because uh, there's a little exercise I like to do with, uh, with, with clients and, and with kids, and I say uh, uh, don't doesn't work because our brains don't pick up the, the don't. They just pick up the thing we're not supposed to do. So, for example, if I say don't think of tigers right now, chances are you thought of a tiger. Now, how do we get the tiger out of your head? I can keep saying, don't think of tigers, don't think of tigers, don't think of Tony the tiger or Tiger Woods or, or Bengal tigers, don't think of them, and all you're going to think of is the tiger. But if I say, think of elephants and focus on their ears, focus on them running across the Serengeti, kicking up dust, think of elephants trumpeting their noise, uh, you have no room for the tiger. 
So what we want to do is we want to purposely turn our attention toward that which we want to do uh, rather than focusing on that which we don't want to do. But it's worthwhile to point out don'ts because um, lest we slip into them, we want to be aware of what we don't want to do. So we don't want to blame, we don't want to judge, we don't want to incite anger. What we do want to do, and you'll notice how these just simply invite a little bit more calm and uh, they replace the don'ts. We do want to teach empathy. We want to teach empathy to our children. And empathy simply stated is feeling as another person feels. That's not to be confused with sympathy, which is feeling sorry for somebody. Pity doesn't help. No one wants your pity. Doesn't help move forward. We don't want to feel sorry for people. What we do want to do is feel what they're feeling. We don't want to carry it as though it's our own, but we do want to feel it. We want to feel as they're feeling. So teach your kids how to feel, first of all, for the victims, uh, secondly, for the victims' families, but third, for the, for the perpetrator. Can you imagine what kind of pain a person must be in to execute an act like that? How much baggage must he have been carrying? I don't know. I'm not him, but I can imagine it's a lot because it takes a lot to get to that level. We can feel for people, and that takes us out of judgmentalism too. So teach empathy. Teach people how to feel as though they are the other person. We will never understand, but we can certainly feel as other people feel. Number two, you want to focus on the helpers in a situation like this. Rather than focusing on the pain and the victims, absolutely, they deserve our our empathy, they deserve our support, they deserve our compassion, and and we want to send resources uh, if we have them. And we want to help people out. But think about the helpers. Think about the people who are already sacrificing to be there, the people who are putting in overtime shifts and working 24 hours around the clock, the the nurses, the doctors, the police officers, the fire personnel, uh, EMTs, uh, and then uh, the old infrastructure that goes behind that, dispatchers, uh, vehicle maintenance, motor pool workers, um, and then the government officials. Uh, in Nevada, I can't speak for Florida, I can speak for Nevada. We have a Depart- uh, De- Department of Health and Human Services, DHHS, under which uh, there's a Division of Public and Behavioral Health that responds to public crises. We have a Division of Child and Family Services that does that within a, you know its own framework. It responds to crises, but on a different level. Um, we have Nevada Medicaid, which is a division of healthcare financing and policy. That's that's what funds your your insurance for the indigent. We have aging and disability services that serve the aging and the disabled, and we have welfare and supportive services, and that handles the the state welfare system. There's also a public defender's office, and, and all of those can be pressed into duty in the case of a tragedy in Nevada. Just last October, we had the the shooting in Las Vegas, um, and people from around the community were, uh, you know, rose to rose to the event and rose to the occasion, including all private practitioners working with mental health, uh, volunteer workers who had any sort of um, security training or investigative training or uh, healthcare training. So the the ripple effect of this is such that we want to be able to focus our, our energy and attention on the helpers because that automatically brings better feeling chemicals into the brain. We're going to be proud. We're going to be um, happy. We're going to, we're going to be excited that, that so many people jump to the aid of those who are wounded, uh, struck down, uh, injured, or otherwise disaffected by a tragedy or a trauma. And it's, it's often very empowering and heartening to know that there are hundreds and thousands of people who are willing to set aside their personal matters in order to press in and help others in situations like this, as opposed to the much smaller 
uh, population that was actually affected. And um, I think that's very encouraging. So we want to teach empathy. We want to focus on the helpers. And we also do want to validate. When people are feeling pain, we don't want to take that away from them and say it's not worthwhile. Um, all the For all the stuff that goes on on Twitter and Facebook and, and the, the comments that cascade through the media and the comment posts, those people are in pain. They're angry and they have a right to be angry. Uh, what I'm inviting people to do is to recognize that anger, move through it, use it as appropriate, but also validate that if somebody's angry and they're just not where you think they should be, that's okay. They're, they're where they need to be. And it's not your job to pull them out of it. Just validate it. Say, yeah, I can understand that you're angry. I can appreciate that you're sad. I can appreciate that you're scared. Um, let, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's reinfuse reason. You know, validation of emotion is how we get to have reasonable conversations. We can't just go screaming at each other, trying to change each other's minds without validating first. So in short, the list is don't blame, don't incite anger, don't judge, do teach empathy or do empathize, do focus on the helpers and do validate people's emotions and, and experiences. They're real for them, whether or not you think they should be or shouldn't be. They are real for those people, and we want to we want to feel them. So, I hope this uh, helps, and uh, I hope this this does something for you. If you have any questions, feel feel free to info uh, email us at the info accounts at naganotes.com and zephyrwellness.org. And um, also check out, if you're in the Reno local area, you can check out the renodads.com website. There's an excellent article up there about how to talk to your kids. And I did steal a little bit of that, which is Focus on the Helpers, uh, from the author Dave Bradfield. So thanks to Dave for that, and thanks for letting me steal it. I am a member of Reno Dads, so I guess I can uh, take that and use it in here. But I am giving attribution. Hat tip to you, buddy. Please join us weekly. Uh, we try to put these out every week and uh, try to enrich and educate your noggin through the Noggin Notes app and the podcast. If you haven't downloaded the app, please do so. If you're listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing. And uh, as always, I'm Jake Wiskirchen, wishing you great mental wellness. Peace.